What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this 14th day of October, the year 2020. Got lots to talk about today. Uh, put a bow on the NBA season as the Lakers were crowned 2019-2020 NBA champions on Sunday night. Touch on week five of the National Football League, of course, and the American League and National League Championship Series, with one team being just one win away from being crowned American League champions for the year 2020. Um, first things first, of course, we will start with the National Football League and get this on the board uh, already, and then away we go. Uh, first off, uh, happy, they got some birthdays. Uh, on the record here uh, today, happy 53rd birthday to, of course, the great, the entertaining, and the uh, polarizing, and just the, you know, sports, the world of sports, sports and sports media, and sports entertainment would not be the same without this man, want to wish a happy 53rd birthday to the great, the legendary Stephen A. Smith, um, fit happy 42nd birthday to Usher. We will, and we will hear plenty of Usher music coming out the breaks in this program today. So happy 42nd birthday to the great Usher and 53rd to the great Stephen A. Smith. And today would, which, and today on a, a little bit of a somber note would have been the 47th birthday of uh, the late George Floyd, who, of course, died back in late May at the hands of uh, Derek Chauvin of the Minneapolis uh, Police Department. So condolences once again go out to his family and the people that were affected by uh, his, uh, the people that were close to him that was affected by his death. Um, Hope those, uh, hope that monster gets charged with murder. Uh, He was released on a $100 million bond in case you didn't know, but... Uh, uh, posthumously, a uh, happy 47th birthday with would have been his 47th birthday to George Floyd. Happy 42 to Usher and happy 53rd to the great Stephen A. Smith. So now that we got that on the board, let's get to the National Football League. Um, uh, let's start with the Chiefs first uh, because how could you not? I mean, their 12-game win streak, whatever it was, 12-13 game win streak, they hadn't lost the game since November against uh, on the road against the Titans of last season. And uh, they lost to the Raiders, uh, which which was the biggest upset of the entire of the entire weekend was the fact that the Raiders went into Kansas City after looking absolutely pathetic at home against the Buffalo Bills the week before, and they win and they beat the Chiefs by eight points uh, and outscored outscored them twenty one to seventeen in the second quarter and outscored them sixteen and eight in the fourth. So that that that's the story of the weekend. Derek Carr. Looked like his MVP caliber self for from a, about what five years ago, whatever it might have been, when he when he he and the Raiders looked like they were going to go to the Super Bowl, and then he broke his leg, and the Raiders' season went up in smoke. Um, that he looked like that Derek Carr on Friday, or excuse me, on on a Sunday afternoon. He was twenty two for thirty one, three hundred forty seven passing yards, threw for three touchdowns. Uh, and only and only through one interception in the game. I mean, Derek Carr w- 
one of his best performances I can recall against a, against a decent opponent in quite some time. I mean, and then on the receiving end, my goodness gracious. I mean, Henry Ruggs, he only caught two passes, but boy, for two passes, yeah, I'd rather catch two passes for 118 yards and uh, and a touchdown, which he did, and then catch about nine passes for 70 for 75 yards. That's just me. You know, if I'm going to get the ball, I want to have the biggest impact on the game. It doesn't matter if I only touch the ball twice, three times, or five times. If I look up my stat sheet, if I'm Henry Ruggs after the game, it's see that I only that even though I only caught the ball twice that I had it for 118 receiving yards and a touchdown pass that uh I I I I could uh I could go to sleep with that especially considering that you just beat your division rival defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs while doing so. So we give all the credit in the world to the Raiders. John Gruden had those guys uh you know John Gruden University of Dayton. I do it for free. I tell you, I tell you what, man. This team's got a lot of good stuff going here, man. John Gruden, University of Dayton, Raiders head coach, Super Bowl thirty-seven champion for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I tell you, guy. I tell you, Spider to White Banana is one of my favorite plays because May John Gruden, University of Dayton. I know of that play and Andrew Luck and the Indianapolis Colts and they ran that in their offense. That was just a thing of beauty right there, man. John Gruden, man. That was my uh, John Gruden impersonation. I take it or leave it how good it was. My impersonation, my John Gruden, no matter how good or how bad it was, it does not hold a candle to uh, Frank Caliendo who does a who does a phenomenal John Gruden impersonation. I mean, he actually does John Gruden better than John Gruden does John Gruden. But give credit to Gruden, the always entertaining uh, John Gruden, for having his team ready to play, for, you know, having that short memory, flipping the page from their loss against Buffalo. They go out, they beat the Chiefs, the only team that's beaten the Chiefs, like I said, in nearly an entire calendar year. Uh, so give John Gruden credit, give Derek Carr credit, give Henry Ruggs credit, and uh, Patrick Mahomes, he was okay. I mean, not exactly a pat. I know everyone was going gaga over that throw. He, oh my goodness gracious, y'all. Twenty-two. Uh, he 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 did his best. Twenty-two, forty-three, three hundred forty yards, two touchdown passes. Got sacked seven times. So, or excuse me. Got uh got sacked uh got sacked three times. I apologize. So give the Raiders credit. They were not scared of the uh, the Chiefs. They were not scared of Mahomes. They were not scared of scared of Andy Reid. They weren't scared of the scarce masked up crowd at Arrowhead. So you give the Raiders all the credit in the world going into Kansas City and beating last year's Super Bowl champions. Travis Kelsey had a big day, eight receptions, 108 yards, and a touchdown pass. You know, this is what the Chiefs needed because, boy, we're, I mean, having not lost a game in nearly an entire calendar year, I mean, you start the Super Bowl champion, you're the you're the talk of the town every single five minutes. You know, I, I ranted about this a few episodes back about the nonstop Patrick Mahomes media circus, and it's, just, it's driven me crazy, but it's been everywhere you look it's Chiefs, 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 Mahomes, 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 and this is honestly, if they, if, you know, with the talk, as soon as they want to come out a repeat, well, you need, you need a, a loss like that or two in order for y'all to uh, bring yourselves back down to earth, get yourself together, collect yourself, regroup, 
and then go ahead and uh, and see where you go from there. But you know, they they were they were flying mighty high, and they were and they were you know as as the, as the older generation I say they were smelling themselves, they were feeling themselves, and uh, the and they uh, got served a piece of humble pie, uh, John Gruden style. Uh, so so uh, so the Chiefs suffered their first defeat since uh since early November against the Titans that one would when, let me go matter of fact let me go back and check when their last uh home loss was that was their last defeat came against the Titans that was on the road when was their last home defeat it had it's been quite a while um let's see their last home defeat was against was on no that can't be right no that's not right it's giving me I don't want the I don't know come on internet I don't want their 18 I want 2019 I don't want 2018 I want 2019 boy I tell you the uh this internet is just uh google you know, very not not the brightest i t- i type 2000 i tell this is what i typed i type 2019 Kansas city chiefs schedule and and then google gives me and then google gives me the 2018 i didn't want 18 google i want 19 i made it clear 2019 their last home defeat was at the hands of the Green Bay Packers. That was the Sunday night game. Of course, Mahomes was hurt. They had Matt Moore uh, start for him. So their last home defeat prior to this past Sunday was on Sunday, October 27th, which is, what, two weeks away from being a full year, was uh, Sunday, October 27th at, uh, or excuse me, at home against Green Bay on Sunday night. They lost 31-24. Their last home loss with Mahomes on a Sunday afternoon was against Houston on October the 13th. So their last home loss, their last home loss prior to this past Sunday, their last home loss with Mahomes at quarterback was nearly a whole year, was nearly a year ago. Uh, Sunday was the 11th. And uh, their last home loss was nearly an entire uh, year cycle. Uh, that loss came on Sunday, October the 13th, at home against Houston. That was with Mahomes as quarterback. That was their last home loss with Mahomes at QB. Their last home loss uh, as a franchise was October 27th on Sunday night against Green Bay where Matt Moore was quarterback because Mahomes busted up his knee. Uh, and then, of course, their last loss ever prior to Sunday was on the road against um, was on the road against Tennessee. So, just to give you those tidbits of information, we put the Kansas City uh, game uh, to bed. Secondly, the team that Kansas City beat in Super Bowl 54 back in February, and that is the San Francisco 49ers, who are in an absolutely they, ladies and gentlemen, they are in a world of trouble. They dropped it two and three. They got absolutely spanked 
by Ryan, I mean, to attack Valoa, I may never see the field. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 22 for 28, 350 passing yards and three touchdown passes. And the Dolphins put up a whopping 43 points against the 49ers. And uh, and beat them at and beat them on the road. 49ers fall to two and three. They are not, they have now lost all three home games at home. Uh, they've lost against the Cardinals. They lost against the Eagles, and then of course, and then now they've lost to uh, the Miami Dolphins. All three inferior opponents. You would think on paper uh, at once this 2020 season started. They Dolphins, Eagles, and Cardinals, you can't lose to when you're the defending NFC champions looking to take the Super Bowl this time instead of uh you know, instead of losing it again. So they fall to two and three on the season. Um all in th- they're undefeated on the road at MetLife uh beat they beat the Jets and they beat the Giants and but they're Owen three on the road, all three of their losses have come at Levi Stadium. So, if you're if you're associated with the San Francisco 49ers, there is reason for concern. Jimmy Garoppolo was terrible, seven for 17, 77 passing yards through two picks. I mean, boy, he was an absolute. Uh, he was a monstrosity on uh, on Sunday. I mean, could I mean he was just, he you know, he was so bad. Now I know people say it's his ankle, but still, I mean. This is a guy that basically coasted through the, you know, maybe we're starting to see that Garoppolo isn't as, I don't go out and say as good, but he isn't, oh, I guess there's no other way to say it. Maybe what's happened is that it's being exposed that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't as good or isn't as talented as everybody, uh, as everybody thinks he is, you know, because, you know, in the, in the Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl, it was already, you know, in the Super Bowl, it was, uh, you know, it was proven that when Garoppolo had to make a play to put the game away, that was that, I think it was that pass pattern to, I think it might've been Ted Ginn Jr. down the middle of the field, uh, in the fourth quarter, which could have put the game away. He overthrew him. And of course, Kansas City came back and won it. He didn't put the game away in Super Bowl 54. And then, of course, and then in that entire playoff run, he he you know he got away with throwing the ball less than ten times a game because all the 49ers have to do is just run the ball and have Bosa in them get after the quarterback, and that's and that would be the formula to win ball games. Well, that their formula has been exposed now, and now they're in a situation where Jimmy Garoppolo has to prove he can make plays by himself with his arm, a la his uh, a la his um. The guy that he was a backup for back in New England, Tom Brady, can do. It's it's starting to look like I'm not going to go out and say it's definitely for sure, but it's starting to look like that Jimmy Garoppolo is being exposed to being not as great as a quarterback that everyone uh, thinks and gave him credit for last season. I understand the bad ankle, but my goodness, seven for seventeen, seventy-seven passing yards and two picks. That's uh, that's not exactly a performance that would make uh, Steve Young a or uh, or Joe Montana uh, want to uh, want to remember or want to uh, praise you for, so and then C.J. Beathard came into the game where he was nine for eighteen ninety nine for eighteen ninety four passing yards and a touchdown pass. But 49ers are in trouble. They got no Nick Bosa for the rest of the season. Garoppolo's hurt, and it doesn't look like he's he's going to be as good as everyone thinks he is. They got Mozart to ham and egg their way with the running game. 
But if Garopp, but if you don't have a competent quarterback in the game, I'll allow Garoppolo or Bether or anybody else. How can you get George Kittle the football, which they haven't been able to do? So the 49ers are in trouble. I thought, you know, no, well, no one saw the Bosa ACL injury coming, but I thought this team was going to, you know, at least nine and seven and make the playoffs as a wild card team. But I'm looking at them, and I don't even, and to be honest, people, I don't even think that. I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs. Listen to their schedule right here. And they play in one of the most competitive, hardest divisions in all of football. Listen to their schedule, listen to their schedule right here. Okay, week six, this weekend, they play the Rams, which will be no day at the beach on Sunday night at home, which which they've lost all their home games. Um, They play New England. Hopefully Cam will be back by then. And if Cam's back... Uh, come October 25th, the, the 49ers don't have a chance in hell uh, flying cross-country to at New England. Uh, and then and then I got Seattle on the road. That's a loss. And then they play Green Bay, who arguably is one of the best teams in the entire NFC outside of Seattle. And then they play, and then they play New Orleans. And, you know, and if the and if and who knows how New Orleans is going to be playing mid middle of November Hopefully, you know, most likely they will have Michael Thomas didn't play in the uh, Monday night game because he got into a fight with a teammate. So he is fully back healthy. But, you know, so if the Saints get their act together between now and November 15th, now from a month from now, and then which when they're always a good team. And although no fans, Superdome, again, it's just it's got like that or and who and you know the saints are fighting with the city of new orleans and the state of louisiana so who knows you know maybe maybe there are fans at the superdome but even then the worst case scenario if you're the 49ers you get the week you we get to week uh 10 before you're by they state of louis the city of new orleans allows fans inside the superdome michael thomas is michael thomas is back and the saints are starting to click and then of course green bay they got the week before on the short week on Thursday night and then they got to and then the week before they play Seattle and then they got to play New England so New England the New England Seattle Green Bay New Orleans that's not a, that's not an easy stretch of games then they have a bye week and then they come right back off of the bye week play the Rams again and then they play the Buffalo Bills on Monday night football on December 7th who arguably are one of the best teams in the AFC is arguably one of the, is the best team in the AFC East so and then the, and then the schedule gets soft for one week week 14 when they play Washington Dallas with Andy Dalton you never know Arizona will be will be uh will be no day at the beach and then they play Seattle again. So uh, honestly, you know, the easiest part of their schedule that they needed to capitalize on was the weeks was from week 2 to week 5 when they played the two New York teams that who stink, the Eagles who can't get out of their own way and the Miami Dolphins who, you know, they've they've played hard for for Brian Flores, but the Miami Dolphins are under not on are not under any circumstances a 2020 AFC playoff team. So the easiest stretch that they should have, you know, gotten four wins and you know four W's in the win column, they went 2 and 2. Which, judging by this schedule, is you know they're gonna they're gonna rue the day when they lost to the uh, when they lost to a Eagles team coming off of a tie, and they lost to a Miami Dolphin team that uh, 
yeah, that's the Miami Dolphins and then the San Francisco 49ers that, that coming into 2020 was thinking Super Bowl. And then they go through the ringer playing their division opponents, the uh, the Packers, the Saints, the Bills, and the Patriots. So I, it doesn't look like that the 49ers are going to make the playoffs, to be quite honest with you. Uh, and, that, and that's just the way I see it. Um, go, moving forward... With the uh, moving forward with the Atlanta Falcons, who fired their GM and head coach, uh, the GM, of course, Thomas Dimitrov and head coach Dan Quinn over the last uh, time that we've uh, that we've uh, chatted. They it should have been done years ago. It should have been done. You can make the argument it should have been done after 28 to 3. You can make the argument it should have been done after the 2017 playoff loss against uh against the Eagles you could argue it should have been done after uh it sh- you can argue it should have been done after 2019 the point is that this firing was long overdue I I know Dan or I know Arthur Blank is a loyal guy but these two guys should have been should have been uh gone or not Dimitrov Dan Quinn should have been gone you can make the argument after the after the 28 to 3 collapse Dimitrov should have been right behind him after you know 2018 2019ish 2019 both of them should have been out the door earliest you could have made the argument to keep Dimitrov cuz that was a very good team that 2016 Falcons team and and asked Dan Quinn for 28 to 3 but the point is that those firings are long overdue uh, they finally did it, uh, you know, when, um, who was the team that did it? The, uh, you know, when the, uh, when, uh, the Texans axed Bill O'Brien and opened up that Pandora's box for teams not to wait to the end of the season to fire coaches that they deemed were incompetent and a hindrance to the team. The Falcons waited, what, about a week, week and a half, and, uh, and their GM and head coach are gone. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, a team that benefited off of uh, the stupidity and the choking ways of Dan Quinn and the Atlanta Falcons, won 37-34, improved to 2-3 and three on the year, 2-1 and one at AT&T Stadium. Giants can't catch a break to fall to 0-5. Um, but, of course, the biggest story out of this game is Dak Prescott, who uh, had compound fracture and a dislocation in his, uh, in his right ankle and needed surge to the point you know and his bone was coming out was coming out of his skin so he needed him so he needed um uh immediate surgery uh so it looks like that he so he, of course he'll be out the rest of the season hopefully lord willing he will be back on the field come uh because it happened early-ish in the season and it's not as bad as uh, as people thought, you know, considering that, considering that his leg, you know, his his foot was bent the wrong way, but a lot wasn't like one of those instances where his where his foot is like, for a perfect example, lift your arm up, lift your arm up, hold your arm straight, but bend but bend your hand, your wrist, bend your hand down, and have and see how it like it dangles in the air like that. It wasn't like one of those instances, thank God. So Dak, Lord willing, will be back out on the field um, come early to mid-2021. Uh, but his season is over. Uh, for what he did in the game, the short time he was in there, he uh, 14th for 21, 166 passing yards and an interception. 
and of course he uh, he and he also caught a touchdown pass on Dallas's version of the Philly special in that game. So at least he had one. He at least he had one highlight of the season he could hang his hat on, along with the comeback against. You know, from a Dallas perspective, if you're a Cowboy fan, you can call it a comeback. If you're mutual or if you're a Falcon fan, that was a collapse. But from a Cowboy fan, the comeback against the Falcons and, of course, catching a touchdown pass are the two little 2020 highlights that that Dak Prescott can hang his hat on, hang his hat on as his uh, 2020 season prematurely uh, comes to a close. Um, Andy Dalton, who the Dallas Cowboys signed after the Bengals cut after last season, who uh, who's from the area, went to TCU. It's a competent, you know. He honestly, you can you know, you can say outside of uh, Nick Foles, he's the best backup quarterback on an NFL roster because he's he started from 2011 to 2019, has played in playoff games, not won them, of course, but uh, but he you know he's a competent starter. He will. He will. He'll get the. He'll get the. You know. You you put him with plenty of weapons, and Zeke Elliott is is better than any running back that he had at Cincinnati. You know, and then of course, uh, and then of of course, Amari Cooper plus Michael Gallup plus Ceedee Lamb is equal to the. Uh, it's just about equal to the weapons he had with the Bengals back in the mid two thousand tens. Of course, with um, you know, of course, with Green and. And with uh, and with Eifert and with Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu, so he's he's got a he's got a decent arsenal to work to work with. You know he's not you know he's not going to is he going to win the Dallas Cowboys the Super Bowl? No. Is he going to win them a playoff game? Hell no. Coming from Bengals saying hell no. But he will get the job done. He will he will be com- he is a he's a competent serviceable quarterback is what he is. He will get the Cowboys to a, not to a nine and seven, eight and eight, or, or you know, if he absolutely turns this team and his team and its defense more importantly, the New York Giants who couldn't who couldn't score who couldn't score a freaking thing against the against the Rams last week coming to Dallas and put up thirty four points. I mean, my, I mean, my goodness gracious! I mean that 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 Dallas Cowboy defense is so bad it's mind boggling, but. But if the defense can get himself together, get itself together, and if Andy Dalton can prove that he's a serviceable replacement to Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, no disrespect to him, but he's not, you know, he's not Roger Staubach, he's not, uh, he's not Troy Aikman. So, uh, but if Dak, but if Andy Dalton can do the job and can be competent for the Cowboys and not make any and play mistake-free football, and defense turns around. Dallas Cowboys could very well win the could win the NFC East, and that doesn't mean anything because they're not going to a Super Bowl. But take it for what it's worth, as the Cowboys beat the Giants thirty-seven to thirty-four. Um, and then, of course, speaking of leg injuries, Alex Smith, of course, which is one of the, which was the feel-good story of the weekend, came back after injuring his leg on November in November of twenty eighteen at the hands of J.J. Watt and the Houston Texans. Came back out onto the field after Kyle Allen stupidly put his head down when he was running the football, got concussed, whatever it was, had to come out the game. Alex Smith came in, so a big bravo and a big uh, and a big um, tip of the cap to Alex Smith for coming back off of a, off of a leg injury that nearly had his leg amputated, nearly killed him, and is and had to get 17 surgeries in order for him to fix it. I mean, you take a look. I mean, you take a look at Alex Smith's if you if you are if you can handle it. 
I suggest you Google Alex Smith's leg after that injury and his leg literally, and I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, um, but Alex Smith's, but Alex Smith's in, uh, injured leg back in November of 2018 looks like a, looks like a, looks like a barbecue chicken leg. If, if you can, if you can handle it, you look it up. I don't, if you can't handle it, don't look it up, but his leg literally, literally looked like a barbecue chicken leg because it, it was injured to crap that badly. And and ESPN did an E60 of it, did an E60 on uh, Smith's rehab and, and, and his return to get back on the football field. Uh, they did an E60 back, I think that was back in late May they had that on. Uh, ESPN had that E60 on, but, um, but, but, uh, if, if you can handle it, and of course, if you have a weak stomach or don't like looking at stuff like that, or whatever the case might be, don't look at it, of course, but if you can hand, if you can handle it, go back and rewatch that E60, uh, that E60 special done by ESPN, and then, uh, and then go, and again, if you can handle it, go on the internet and uh and look and look at the pictures of Alex Smith's leg and I and again no disrespect no insult to him but his leg after that injury literally looked like barbecue looked like a barbecue chicken wing or barbecue chicken leg and I and I am not making and I am not trying to be funny it's just straight up how it looks if you eaten a if you've eaten a baked if you've eaten a baked chicken leg with barbecue sauce on it with the spices and the pepper and all that sort of stuff his uh, Alex Smith's leg looks no different but a could but a kudos to him and a bravo tip of the cap to him tip of the cap for his wife and his kids who've been by his side every step of the way uh throughout the throughout the entire process Alex Smith deserves to be commended. Speaking of guys that need to be commended, how about we put some respect on Russell Wilson's name? 2726 Seattle. They they couldn't reach the end zone. I mean, my you want to talk about as bad as a performance of a first half of a football game. I mean, they scored 27 points in the second half. They put up a big fat goose egg and they were down 13 to nothing at the half time, at halftime. My brother is sitting up here watching the game in in the kitchen of our house. Halftime, you know, midway through the third quarter, Seahawks still haven't done anything yet. So he's like, you know what, screw this. I'll go watch game. You know, every game that we've watched, that uh, every Seahawk win that he's watched on television, they've been in in the living room. He was watching it in the kitchen, and he's like, you know what, bump this. And he went and he went into the living room, and lo and behold, Russell Wilson worked his magic, and the Seahawks came back to win the game. And we, but we need, but in all seriousness, we need to put some respect on my man's Russell. Not my man's. He's my brother's man. But we need to put some respect on Russell Wilson, okay? And he did not, and he did not play his greatest game of the season under any stretch of circumstances. But the fact that he went down the field eighty plus yards, and I am not going to be the one that's going to sit up here and yell and scream about how dare Mike Zimmer go for it on fourth and inches. That was the right call, okay? I mean, so okay, Russell Wilson goes down the field, ain't got to worry about him going for two if you kick the field goal in time to in time the game up. I, me personally, I would have done the same thing. Would have tried to go for it and uh, and and put the game away and put the game away right then and there. They didn't get it. Seattle's defense didn't do a damn thing all night. 
they did on that play. Go figure. And if Russell Wilson drove down, drove down the field as he did and completed two miracle fourth, you know, fourth down conversions, one a fourth and ten, an absolute prayer sent, an absolute miracle sent down from the heavens to DK Metcalf down the left sideline, then Russell Wilson and the Seahawks based on that last drive, deserved to win the game. For the full 60 minutes, the Vikings should have won that game. But when Russ Wilson works his magic on that last drive, as he did, the game the game was for Russ Wilson to win. I mean, 30 for, excuse me, 20 for 32, 217 passing yards, three touchdown passes, three interception. Um, so, and he got a 99 overall. I don't know if y'all saw this, but take for what it's worth. I mean, the game sucks anyway. I, again, I wouldn't buy, I wouldn't buy Madden 21 if Lamar Jackson came and knocked on, knocked on my door and gave me a, a, a free autographed, uh, you know, gave me the, gave me the free game with the, with the cover of it autographed. I wouldn't take it. And it has nothing to do with Lamar Jackson. It has everything to do with the fact that the game freaking stinks. But Lamar, but Russell Wilson, what a DK Metcalf, six receptions, ninety-three receiving yards, caught the game-winning touchdown pass late. I mean, if if Russell Wilson does not prove to you out there in America that he is not only the best quarterback in all of football, but the most valuable to his team's success, that there it is, right there. I mean, and I and again, Patrick Mahomes, phenomenal talent, but again. A, a Mahomes' defense, the Chiefs' defense, has improved in the past year. It wasn't as bad as it was a la 2018 uh, when they let Tom Brady march up and down the field completing fourth and 15s on seam patterns right up the middle of the field. So their defense has improved. They got playmakers on defense with Frank Clark and and uh, and Tyron Matthews. So, so, a, the, so a, the Chiefs' defense blows the Seahawks' defense out the water. That's item number one. Item number two, the Patrick Mahomes has about like has like five All Pros on his team. It's got Kelsey, it's got Tyreek Hill, McCole, McCole Hardman. Okay, that Clyde Edwards, a lair kid out of out of LSU, it's pretty freaking good that they drafted in the first round. And then of course, you know, and Damian Williams, who would be playing had not. Had not there be a pandemic, he would. He is a. He is an elite running back that fits well into that system. And then of course they have. And then of course who else do they have? Sammy Watkins. I mean, Patrick Mahomes has more weapons at his disposal than he can shake a stick at. And he's got one of the best offensive play cards, one of the best offensive-minded coaches this league has seen in the last twenty twenty-five years. And Andy Reid. I mean, Pete Carroll is not exactly. Uh, He's not, you know, again, he's no Lombardi. No, I mean, I like Pete. I love his energy. You know, he does a great job promoting, you know, telling people to get out to vote. Not, I saw uh, nothing against Pete Carroll personally, but this is the same guy that thought, that said with Marshall Lynch in the backfield, second and goal at the half yard line, let's, th- let's throw a slant pattern to, uh, I think it was Ricardo Lockett. Was, yeah, let's throw a slant pattern with the Super Bowl on the line, 20 seconds, no timeouts. And we'll and we'll throw a slant pattern to uh, to Ricardo Lockett to win the Super Bowl when we had Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. So, and he's no so and he's no Vince Lombardi under any circumstances. And and the Seattle defense is <clears throat> excuse me throat's getting dry. And the Seattle defense is not exactly um the Legion of Boom under any circumstances. 
and and albeit DK Metcalf's one hell of a receiver, but would you rather well, would would you rather have Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, Travis Kelsey, and that Clyde Edwards Alaire at your disposal, or DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, and Greg Olson at your disposal? And then and then if they're covered, you gotta throw to David Moore, Freddie Swain, Will Disley. I mean, these are guys you can't even pick out of a lineup. And Russell Wilson is putting his team on his back, which he has been long before Mahomes even showed up, came onto the scene. And he's been doing the same damn thing essentially since 2015 on, and he never, ever, ever gets any respect or gets any credit for it. Mahomes comes onto the scene two, three years ago, and all of a sudden everyone acts like Mahomes is the greatest quarterback, is, you know, is already surpassed Brady as the goat of the sport. Yet he's got a high. Yet he's got a bunch of weapons sitting there on offense, and 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 his coach Andy Reid is one of the greatest offensive-minded coaches this league has seen in the last 25 years. Russ Wilson is Pete Carroll, who threw the ball at the one-yard line with Marshawn Lynch in the backfield in the, in the Super Bowl against Belichick. So please. Let's quit farting around, quit the BS, and put some respect on Russell Wilson's name. This man is the best quarterback in the sport. It's it's Wilson, it's Wilson, Mahomes, Rodgers, uh, Lamar, and then you can work your way down from there. But this guy deserves his respect and deserves his due and should be NFL MVP when it's all said and done. The Monday night game, boy, the Chargers cursed. I mean, with... <laughs> Boy, oh boy, boy. Herbert's going to be one hell of a quarterback. 20 for 34, 264 passing yards and four touchdown passes. He's going to be, and Mike Williams had a day two, five receptions, 109 yards, two touchdowns. He was missing all members of his offensive line. Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen was limited in action. And this man still, you know, still went up there and just, uh, and, and balled his heart out um, on uh, Monday Night Football in front of America. So, you know, the, I don't know what the issue is with the Chargers. I mean, they're just one of those snake-bitten, cursed franchises where nothing, nothing ever goes their way. Losing games by, you know, by a field goal, by these tight margins and stuff like that. The Saints, uh, you know, Drew Brees played well, 30, 33, 47, 325 passing yards, a touchdown pass. Um, Emmanuel Sanders had a big game. He stepped up, 12 receptions, 122 receiving yards. Uh, Alvin Kamara wasn't as active in the game as he has been the last couple of games, but Emmanuel Sanders picked up the slack. Yeah, the sexy back uh, line for you. And I'll pick up the slack. Yeah, take him to the bridge. Uh, so uh, I don't know why. I'm just, I'm all over the place today. Y'all forgive me, but that's uh, that's the line for one of the best songs of the uh, two thousands decade and sexy back. So. But the Saints played well. They won thirty to twenty-seven in overtime. Um, and I, I mean, Herbert's going to be—he's one hell of a talent. He's gritty. He may, he's got a—he's got a heck of an arm. I mean, this guy—he's going to be—you know—he's—he's going to be a great talent. And and the Saints and boy, did they, and the Saints had no business winning that football game. I mean, boy, were they incredibly lucky. I mean, the only reason why they won that football game is because they were playing the Los Angeles Chargers, who I don't want to say find new ways to lose. The Jets and the Bengals do that, but 
but it's like every single time, you know, it's a new thing that doesn't go the way just by luck and just by set of circumstances, not necessarily anything that they do to themselves. I mean, who, who you know, he misses, he, the kicker hits the upright on the field goal. I mean, that's, that's those luck gimmicky type stuff that's always happened to the uh to to the char to the uh Charger franchise dating back when they started in Los Angeles in what, nineteen sixty, I think. But dating back to the start of the franchise back in the early sixties. So but the but the Saints were incredibly lucky winning that football game because that game had the Chargers should have won all you know, that Chargers should have won that game outright. And and they didn't, which is which is crazy. But that's just how the National Football League works. And I and 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 Sean Payton's got to and Sean Payton's got to get away from Taysom Hill. I mean, this guy is just every every single five seconds. I mean, late in the game, Sean, you you take out your Hall of Fame quarterback Drew Brees, bring in Taysom Hill. I mean, a boy and a boy was he incredibly lucky on that third and four that Taysom Hill that Taysom Hill scored that touchdown because I said as soon as before the play was before the ball was even snapped I said if Taysom Hill fumbles like he did in the Packer game or screws up or does anything stupid this man will never hear the end of it and lo and behold third and fourth Taysom Hill saves uh, Sean Payton and the Saints and he scores a touchdown to tie the game up but uh, but Herbert's going to be a good talent it's going to be a good talent. Lastly, where I, where this monologue will finish, and this has been how long have I been going here for? Full forty one minutes. Lord Jesus, one of my longest monologues, and I didn't even yell and scream, which is uh, which is a problem. But uh, my apologies for that. Bills and the Titans. Um, I did not, which was played on Tuesday night, of course, because of the COVID. But the Titans were firing on all cylinders on uh, last night. I mean, who in the world thought? That the Tennessee Titans, having not practiced and have no game action for two and a half weeks, I understand they were home, which made it a little bit easier on them. But who thought that the Titans were going to come out firing on all cylinders like they were last night without practicing and no game for two and a half weeks? Which either tells me, which either tells me uh, a few things. One, Buffalo thought the game was going to be given to them because they just naturally expected that the Titans were going to be flat and they weren't, which shocked them. Or they have a lot of players on that football team that if they had it their way, they they wouldn't practice. If the they have players on the team that if they had it their way, they they they'd rather sit through meetings and watch film and do a walkthrough the night before the game and not have to put on pads until game day. That's what that also tells me. They got they got a lot of players that aren't that could play. I put it to you like this: that could play in the Super Bowl if they were in the Super. They that could play in the Super Bowl finish the conference championship game and spend two weeks essentially lollygagging and fought around the Super Bowl city doing nine million interviews and then and their only team activity of the week is going to meetings, watching film and a quick walkthrough the Saturday night before the game and could go out and could go out Super Bowl, you know, and go out on the field first time in pads in two weeks and go out there and apps and put on a Hall of Fame worthy performance. I mean that that's that's what I got from it because I thought that the and I thought the Bills were going to win this game. 
I thought that the Titans were going to be incredibly flat, not playing and not practicing for two and a half weeks. I understand that, you know, they, I understand that, you know, within a lot, every team, they have like those group of players that are like, you know, I don't like practices. I like game days. I like Jim McMahon. You know, he's, he's like, I didn't care for practice. I like Sundays. So, and, and, ever, and anybody who's ever played, uh, who's ever played tackle football, whether it's high school, whether it's college, have felt like that, you know, you know, from, uh, well, for high school, you know, Monday through Thursday, Monday through Thursday, it's kind of a, ugh. but, uh, but, but, but the adrenaline, but you know, that agent, when you get that adrenaline rush and the blood starts pumping through your veins, once, uh, once Friday afternoon comes, or if you played in college, you know, Monday through Friday, it was, eh. but once Saturday came and, and the, and the state and the stadium was packed of, uh, of your fellow students and fans and, and parents, and you had the marching band going, and everything else, and you were like, "Oh yeah, now it's time, now it's time to, now it's time to rumble." So it shows me that the Titans have players like that that could literally, the only football stuff they do is meetings, watching film, not not put on pads and go on a field for two two and a half weeks now, two and a half weeks, come out, wait all day to play the game. Granted, at home, so it's a little bit of an advantage, but wait all day on game day. Come and then seven o'clock, which is what I think that's it's six local time, and go out there and absolutely ball on national television against a team that on the ladder played last Sunday, had two extra, had an extra day off because they played on a Tuesday, had a day and a, had a day and a half of extra days off. Came up, played on the road, and still were flat, which is which is crazy, and it's hard to believe. And and Josh Allen had it, and I'm not going to pile on Josh Allen like I, you know, Josh Allen, like it or not, folks, Josh Allen is one is a is he's one hell of a talent, and he's going to be one heck of a quarterback. Yes, does he need to watch the turnovers? He turned over the football twice. Yes, and is he that quarterback that when he has bad games, he's going to have you know they're going to be hard to watch. Yes, but when this man's clicking and when this and when the game is going his way, this guy is one of the best is one of the top ten best quarterbacks in the National Football League. This guy is a stud. He is a competitor. And he's a great talent, and I expect. And it's again, it's their first loss. It's their first loss since the playoff loss against Houston back in January. So Buffalo, Buffalo's going to be fine. Four and one. No need to panic. Buffalo will be in good hands. Don't you worry up up y'all up there in uh, Bill's Mafia jumping on uh plastic tables. Um but Ryan Tannehill boy, I tell you, 21 for 28, 195 passing yards and three touchdown passes. I mean, what an absolute. And then he had Derrick Henry and straight that's going to be the new thing. I said it as soon as I saw that play on replay. I said that play's going to take over when he uh when he made Earl Thomas into his own blocking dummy back in the playoff game back in January. That's going to be the new thing. Him shoving Josh Norman formerly of the uh formerly of the Carolina Panthers. You know that's going to be a new thing when he shoved Josh Norman three yards down the field on with the stiff arm. That's going to be the new thing. But Ryan Tannehill, what performance! And you can tell that the issue in in Miami wasn't Tannehill; it was the fact that his coaches were Joe Philbin and Adam Gase. 
But what but what a phenomenal job by Tennessee. Their defense gives up 16 points. You know, they let Stephon Diggs catch 10 balls for 106 yards. But they uh, but their defense got two turnovers, both by Malcolm Butler, allowed the Buffalo Bills to put up 16 points. They shut them out in the third quarter, and then their offense put up 42 points as the Titans improved the 4-0, uh, the one of very few undefeated football teams in the AFC. The only teams in the AFC that are undefeated are, uh, are, Pitt, are Pittsburgh and Tennessee. Green Bay and Seattle in the NFC or the other undefeated teams. Come right back. I have plenty to say about my Bengals, who uh, who did not, at least their offense, didn't show up against, uh, against the Ravens on Sunday. I know it's a uh, late model. I know it's a uh, long monologue. My apologies for that. Uh, I really wanted to keep this short and sweet, but nearly an hour in, we'll be back with the Amatelica TIS podcast right after this. Usher, today is his 42nd birthday. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIAS podcast. Switching gears now to my Cincinnati Bengals, who, now it's that they are like a they're they're a roller coaster. Maybe maybe I should come out the break when I talk about them with uh, with the Ohio players' song "Love Roller Coaster" because, uh, but it ain't a roller coaster of love. It's a roller coaster of turmoil, nonstop BS, and anger, anxiety, and frustration because. You know, on a day, you know, they, they, it looked like that they finally turned the corner. I get it, it was against the Jaguars, but the offense, they got Joe Mixon involved, and it's like, oh, look, well, it's like, oh, the Bengals are finally, from an offensive point, are finally, John, are finally coming to get it. Lo and behold, they come into Baltimore, Joe Burrow's first trip into M&T Bank Stadium, and they lay a complete fat egg. The offense didn't do a damn thing the entire game. Joe Burrow played one of the and and a lot of these you know we've lost three games this season. The previous two and the tie against Philly weren't his fault. This one not all his fault, but he deserve but he deserves the blame. He held on to the, he got sacked seven times. A lot of the times he could have thrown the ball away, could have scrambled, held on to the ball way too long, which a yeah, rookie mistake. But then again, he's a rookie. But still, you gotta you gotta learn how to throw the football away because a lot because even though the Bengals offensive line is trash, he's gotta learn not to hold on to the ball for for too long. If he sees that there are no receivers open, he's got to either make up his mind what's he going to do with his legs, or he needs to chuck it into the or he needs to chuck it 15 rows deep uh, on the side on the sidelines or in the back of the end zone or something. 
that he played one of his worst NFL games in his career. Patrick Queen, absolutely his uh, teammate at LSU, gave him uh, gave him a uh, gave him a little one of those um, remember me shots um, when he absolutely came out of nowhere and pummeled Joe Burrow into the t- into the grass uh, for a sack. I mean, it was it it was terrible. Joe Mixon, I mean. Uh, he went from setting the world on fire one week to give me 24 rushing yards, 15, excuse me, 24 games for 59 rushing yards and had a seven-yard run, his longest run of the afternoon, averaging two and a half yards a carry. I mean, and then I had, you know, and the receivers couldn't do anything because Burrow couldn't do anything, couldn't establish any momentum whatsoever on offense. I mean, it, oh, it was so bad. It was so bad, it was mind-boggling. I mean, it, the offense was completely out of whack, was completely overwhelmed by the Ravens' defense, and was not only overwhelmed, but just overmatched in general. I mean, um, it, oh, it was it was their worst offensive performance of the entire season so far. I mean, you want to talk about bad, it was absolutely putrid to watch that. I mean, oh, it was it was terrible, terrible. And then uh, I just I don't. But then in turn, you know, you say the Ravens put up 27 points, but you but if you watch the game, you only realize that 21 of those points was was scored by the was uh, scored by the offense. Lamar Jackson did not have the greatest game in his career. You know, if he if he played a you know, and I I put it to you like this: if the if you took the Bengals' defensive performance from this game. And put and matched it with the Bengals' offensive performance from the Jaguar game. The Bengals would have won. The Bengals' defense, you know, again, you know, they three touchdowns isn't, you know, you don't want. But I mean, if we're talking about quote-unquote moral victories, the Bengals' defense was not terrible against against uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. I mean, for, uh, considering that he's cooked them the previous two times they've played them. You know, going ninety, going nineteen for thirty-seven, throwing less than two hundred yards, one eighty to be exact, two touchdowns and an interception, and he threw, and he should have thrown more than one interception, and was and was in his face at least more than a dozen times in a game. Didn't let Mark Ingram go crazy running the football. Didn't let Marquise Brown or any of their receivers go crazy catching the football. You got to admit, you got to admit that 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 was not a. Uh, that was, you know, was it Hall of Fame 85 Bears? No, but it wasn't an embarrassing defensive performance by Cincinnati uh, like they've embarrassed themselves against the Ravens in uh, in a year or two seasons past. Uh, you know, again, the one touchdown was scored by Marlon Humphreys, who finds ways to score touchdowns on defense. What a phenomenal talent he is. Uh, this man just creates turnovers, and when he creates them, he he just, you know, he does all the work by himself, and he just, and he just finds the foot finds a way to get to the football and take it the other way for seven points. And if you want to become a Super Bowl championship football team, a defense has got you. Defense has to find ways to not just create turnovers, but create them and score. You know, a lot of times, and a lot of times, it's not good enough for you to for you to create the turnovers and set up your offense. A lot of times, you want to make statements and want to put the game away, which that Marlon Humphreys fumble play did. You create the turnover, you get that ball out, you get it loose, and you take it back the other way. Championship football teams with a with a decent to from anywhere from a decent defense to a great defense. 
they they find a way they find a way to score points on defense and that's what the Ravens did on Sunday and if they want to and if they want to make their outside of course they have to be Kansas City but if they want to you know make the case that they belong to be playing in Tampa come February uh to a for from a Ravens perspective you get keep scoring on defense because that's how you win football games because not every day and this is a and this is a perfect example that that offense is going to is going to be firing on they ran for 161 yards total in the game you know and Lamar Jackson only ran for 3 yards rushing Mark Ingram only ran for 57 yards rushing you know, Marquise Brown, only the leading receiver, had six receptions for 77 yards. So, you know, and, that, and, and this past week was a perfect example that not all the times is, is your offense going to click. Not all the times is your offense going to blow up the stat sheet with ridiculous numbers. you got to find ways to win ugly, and and it, and it helps when your defense puts uh, puts seven points on the board, which they did. So give so give the Ravens' defense plenty of credit. Held Joe, held Joe Burrow, who was arguably the best rookie quarterback in the NFL, and uh, and held a decent offense, which put up 30 plus points last week against Jacksonville. They only held them to a field goal, which came in, which came after the game was pretty much over in the fourth quarter. So get the, the 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 MVPs of this game was the Ravens' defense because the Bengals' offense was atrocious, and the Ravens' offense, to be honest, wasn't that much better. Again, they put up 21 points, but at but at the same but but it. They got the twenty-one points the ugly way, you know. They 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 did not. It wasn't high. It wasn't Lamar Jackson, you know, juking juking running down the sidelines, making the Bengals defenders look silly for a touchdown. It wasn't Mark Ingram sixty-yard run for a touchdown, and Marquise Brown wasn't Antonio Brown, you know, with the eight with the eighty-yard reception going down the sideline score a touchdown either. So. The Ravens' offense managed to put up 20, 20 plus points the hard way, and it was in due in part because their defense absolutely played their game of the year. You know, if if, if, if where, where was this Ravens' defense against Kansas City? I mean, my goodness gracious, their best defensive performance of the year, and the Ravens beat the Bengals for what the. 2019 they get, 2018 they got one win for their third time in the for their no the for the fourth time in a row the Ravens beat my uh, Cincinnati Bengals and captured the first win of this Bengals Ravens rivalry in the 2020s uh decade but all things considered the Bengals defense again I mean, I, when you put up three points and they had and they had many a chances to get more turnovers than just one, and they had many a chances. I think on one play they could. Yeah, I think that the guy number fifty-five catches the ball and hits him right in his chest. He walks into the end zone and it, and it maybe uh, sparks and it may might have sparked something within the Bengals and the game and the outcome of the game could have been completely different. So uh, Ravens offense not exactly their greatest performance, but their defense picked up the slack as one of, as uh, putting in one of their best defensive performances of the season. Beat my Bengals. The offensive line was terrible as usual. I don't need to wax poetic on that ninety thousand times. Uh, Burrow looked like a rookie first time in his career. Um, and then the one last thing, then I'll get to a break and I'll get to the other uh, two sports. Um, I don't know what it is with AJ Green, 
But uh, and he saw an interception that Burrow threw, which was just a complete bonehead asinine interception. I, I don't know what A.J. Green's problem is. I don't know what's going on with him. But if A.J. wants to be on this football team, wants to be in it for a lo- for the long haul, and wants to compete for a championship to, as, as his career want, will, by that time, be winding down, I suggest A.J. Green get his head out of his ass, get off his ass, go out there, practice, give 110%, no excuses, no injuries, none of this, my hamstring, my hand. Uh-uh, no, tell with that. You want to play on this football team, you go out there and you give yourself 110% effort. You make sure that you don't leave that meeting room, that you don't leave that practice field until Burrow and yourself has a, has, you know, is, is clicking. He's, he's clicked with Higgins. He's clicked with Boyd. He's clicked with Mixon. He isn't clicking with you. And if you want to be a part of this for the long haul, I suggest you put your big boy pants on, get your crap, get your stuff together. And find a way how you can be a valuable and a positive contributor to this offense and to this football team. Because we can't win football games, whether we rebuilding or compete for a championship. If AJ Green is on this is on the starting roster and he ain't producing, we can't win football games that way. I know we have like a phenomenal record when AJ Green plays compared to when he doesn't, but it's not as automatic as AJ Green suiting up and you know and lining up on the field. This man actually has to produce and put up numbers. Something he has not done since the twenty eighteen season. He had all twenty nineteen off it was a tank year. Okay, I understand no training camp. I understand limited it all it was a weird off season. I get that and I understand all that AJ. But if you want to perform and if you want the ball and if you want to be a part of this offense you got to go out there and you got to prove it you got to prove it to me you got to prove it to bro got to prove it to your teammates got to prove it to the Bengals fan base you have to prove to America that AJ Green is is here he's alive back and and what's that phrase my man uh Jason uses of his podcast directed in full effect. I think that's what he says. You have to, you have to be look up and say, you know what? I'm AJ Green. I'm back. Okay, I'm AJ Green. Joe Burrow. I'm there when you need me, brother. When you need me to make a big play to to uh, to put the game, you know, to that's that's what AJ Green used to do. The AJ Green of old, with I don't know whether it's the fact that Andy that he was so used to the connection with Andy Dalton, and part of him's upset, part of him's glad that Burrow's here, and the other part of him's upset because his man, the guy that they you know they came out the same draft class in 2011, that his man Andy Dalton's gone. I don't know what it is, but the AJ Green of old knew how to take over a football game, especially against the Baltimore Ravens. Perfect example. You don't even have to go back that far. Perfect example. Go watch the week two, go back week two, 2018, Thursday night against the Ravens, where A.J. Green caught three touchdown passes in the first half. That's a you watch that game or watch his highlight tape of that game. That's all you need to know. AJ Green and I understand that that Ravens team was and it made the playoffs in 2018, but that but that Ravens team had not had not uh, Harbaugh made the switch to Lamar Jackson. That team was dead man walking just just in week two of that season. But still, 
you could you would see, and the Bengals fans who are listening, they know I'm telling the truth. AJ Green had that ability to by himself take over football games. That when you watch the game and he balled out and made big plays to kept drives alive and 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 would and would and would, uh, and would put some points on the board, you knew it. You knew as AJ Green had that ability of old. And what I mean by old, like two years ago, <laughs> to take over football games, and to put it and to make a direct and put a direct impact of how the game went or how the game ended. He used to have that ability, for whatever the reason, whether it's training camp was weird, no OTAs, no preseason. He battled a hamstring injury back in training camp. New quarterback with Burrow, whatever it is. He hasn't been the same guy. And if he wants to continue to play on his football team, and even even if he wants out via trade, no team is going to want to trade. Even if you want out, AJ, and people were like, people were freaking out all over social media. He said, if you can, he said that if they're not going to give me the ball, we'll trade me. Well, AJ, if you want out, if you want in, the bottom line is, AJ, if you want to, Make big money, if you still want to make big money in the NFL in your 30s, being as injury prone to hell as you are, if you want to make big money, whether it's for the Bengals or whatever team it is, you got to perform. Because no team's going to give you, no team's going to give you 30, 40, 50 million dollars to sit to, uh, you know, to line up on halfback draw plays. And then when you're, and when you're not on the field, you're sitting on your ass talking to your homeboy off from the practice squad because 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 on because you read on your stat line you've been you've been thrown to thrown to two times and you've dropped them and you've dropped them twice. And the only action you get on the field is uh, is run blocking. Okay, whether you want either whether you want to stay in Cincinnati or not, if you want to keep, if you want to make the big bucks in the National Football League in your 30s as an injury prone player, get off your ass and prove that you still belong. Because no team that's that's going that's trying to com- that's trying to compete to either go to playoffs or win a championship wants a wants a wide receiver who's 30 who's in his 30s injury prone. And it's simply, I know it may sound harsh, but a waste of a roster spot. No one's gonna want that. So whether you wanna stay in Cincy or not, you gotta you you gotta you gotta give give us a little bit more than what we're seeing, because what we're seeing is a guy that looks disinterested, has quit, and he either lost his love for the game, or or allows injuries to be his excuse of him not giving 110 percent. So my advice to AJ is if if you want to continue to keep playing in the NFL, whether it's for the Bengals or another team, get your crap together and uh, and let's and, and let's start going out there and uh, and having that same impact that you would have on games a couple years ago. Because ain't no team going to sign you, whether free agency or trade for you fifty million dollars with that with that horse crap effort you you displayed on Sunday. And that is fact. Again, Cincinnati, whatever. If you plan on playing in the National Football League in the near future, whether it's for the Bengals or another team, you need your your effort. Your effort has to be there. Your effort has to be there. 
Because they no play, no team that's trying to compete is going to trade for an injury-prone 30-year-old wide receiver who who half who was half-assing it off of a, off of a pass that was intercepted in his vicinity that he didn't even bother to go up and jump for the ball and didn't even bother to tackle the guy that made the interception. So, and if AJ does feel spent, then I suggest I suggest retire at the end of the season. If you don't, whether you want to play for the Bengals for 2021 and beyond or play for another team down the road, you got to give me a little better effort than what than what we're seeing right now. Because ain't no team going to take a player that's over 30, injury-prone, displaying that kind of effort. A.J. Green, after that performance on Friday, he, A.J. Green should be embarrassed and ashamed of himself. Because, and it's crazy, for the first time in his career, A.J. Green acted like and looked like a diva wide receiver that was bigger than the team. And this is a guy that's been on the straight and arrow, that never complains, never moans and groans for the majority of his career until Sunday. For the first time in his career, A.J. Green looked like like that typical uh, diva wide receiver that... That made himself uh, that made himself bigger than the team, cause that cause that's what it was. Again, whether you want to stay or not, you got you got to put forth a better effort, and you gotta and you gotta do a little better than than that than what you than what you gave the public on uh, on Sunday afternoon, cause that 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 was shameful and that was embarrassing. That was embarrassing. Take a break. Talk the AL National League Championship Series right after this. Welcome back to the Amateur Like a TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the baseball. The Tampa Bay Rays, who, among other things, have really shocked the world. They are one win away from winning the 2020 American League Championship and advancing to Arlington, Texas at Globe Life Field to compete for the 2020 Major League Baseball World Championship. Um, I mean, I, 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 I don't know what to say. I mean, the Astros have the experience. Their bullpen has been horrendous. They haven't, for the for the most part of this series, they haven't hit their way out of a paper bag, you know, and, right, and sitting here on Wednesday 
that, and if the Rays win tonight, they'll literally they will have a, about six days off, and you'll have one baseball game to get you through, uh, to get you through till Tuesday, till next Tuesday. Um, and if the and if the and if the Braves win, who are already up to all, get to them in a minute. If the Braves win tonight, tonight, tomorrow, or lose tonight. And then when uh, and then when Thursday Friday you could have a weekend where the only sport where the only sport you'd have would be would be uh, college and, and NFL football, which which is crazy considering back in September you had it was crazy back in September you had hockey you had basketball NBA playoffs NBA finals later after and then you had baseball and then you had of course the seasonal football but then you know if these two series are over are over or in their and are finished by the end of the work week you could have a you could have a weekend where all you got is football and if you're a person like me who's a fan of multiple sports it's a good thing because you don't have to worry about keeping tabs and and try to do double duty trying to watch all the games over at one time or you can just sit back relax and just mellow in and and, and deep dive into the football but the Rays who won game one on uh, on Sunday night which was totally overlapped by the fact that they was on TBS uh, in a TBS compared to ABC and NBC with the finals and, and the Seahawks game the Seahawks game blew the NBA finals game out the water and 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 I guarantee that the finals game and the football game blew this game out the water. Uh, Braves or excuse me, the Rays beat the Astros two one in game one, and then Blake Snell got the victory. Came in, pitched five innings, gave up a run, and walked two batters and struck out two batters. And then on uh, and then on Monday. Uh, and then on Monday, the Astros only put up two runs on ten hits, which really, which really is unacceptable. You get ten hits, only can score two runs, and you know they out hit the race ten to four, only put up two runs, and they lost the game. I mean that's 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 embarrassing. I'm so, that 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 you can't have. That you can't have when you get when you got guys up and down that lineup that have postseason experience compared to the race, and the Astros beat the Rays in the ALDS last year. Which is even more crazy now that now that you think about it, um, uh, and they and the Rays beat the Astros four to two. Uh, McCullers came in; he had hell of a performance. Seven innings, gave up one lousy run, struck out struck out eleven, but it still but the run but it still wasn't good enough. Char, compared to Charlie Morton, who came in, pitched five innings, uh, struck out five and and walked the batter. Um, and then, of course, with the home run, you had Mike Zanino and uh, and Margot and the colors hitting a, hitting the home runs for the Rays in Game Two that gave them the 2-0 series lead. And then that was on Monday, October the 12th. And then yesterday on the 13th, you had the uh, the again. So here the Ash, here's how much the runs the Astros have put up in this series: one run in Game One, two runs in Game Two. That's three. And then two runs in game three, that is four. So you have one, two, and two. So five runs total in this entire series. And have been outscored in this series by the Rays. Four in game one, five in game two, that's nine. And in game three, excuse me. Five in game. No, let me restart. Two in game one. Four in game two. So that's six. 
and then five in game three. That's 11. So they've been outscored nine to uh, nine to five in this series. The Rays have outscored the Astros nine to five. And, what, and part of the reason of what got the Rays here, or what got the Astros here, despite having a sub-500 record, is the fact that they were able to hit. Their pitching was suspect because they had no Verlander. Cole, of course, is a Yankee. Uh, and then their bullpen is terrible. So, But part of the reason why they got here was their bats, and their bats have not shown up. They've been outscored by the Rays, whose strength is pitching, not necessarily the offense, and they've been outscored by the Rays. They lost last night 5-2, to two, facing elimination. Give you the box score right quick. I mean, well, what a phenomenal team the Toronto, the, excuse me, the Tampa Bay Rays are. Yarbrough came in. I mean, these are guys that are, are given five innings and are getting out. Uh, and, is, and it's to the bullpen you go with uh, Kevin Cash. Five innings, two runs, five strikeouts, and two walks. And the irrequity guy comes in, gives up, uh, pitches five innings, gives up a run, four strikeouts, and a walk in the walks the batter. And then they, and then, um, so, and then of course Altuve with the yips, who, and you can cry me a river, Jose Altuve. You cheat, you're at the Lord's mercy with what happens to you next. So I, I have entirely zero sympathy for, uh, I have zero, I have zero sympathy for uh, for Jose Altuve. He gets what he gets, and you don't get upset. But the series is 3-0 Tampa. I mean, just what a phenomenal performance pitching-wise, quieting down that those Astro bats, and they've, and they've had timely and clutch hitting when they've needed it. Now to the National League side, uh, the Astros and Rays started on Sunday. The Braves and the Dodgers started on Monday. Uh, the Braves, who have not lost, they, which is hard to believe, that they have not had a uh, that they have not lost a postseason game uh, yet. They swept the Reds, they swept the Marlins, and they're about and come and come uh, late. And by Friday, they could end up sweeping the heavily favored Dodgers, who are to to go to the World Series. They beat the uh, they beat the Dodgers five one on Monday. Uh, with the and and with uh, and let me read you the stat stat line right here. Um, Wolf Smith came into the bullpen in relief, uh, and the Dodgers, or excuse me, the, uh, the, the Braves, who looked like they were held dead to rights, tied 1-1, hang into the top of the ninth inning and put up four runs in the ninth, and they win the game 5-4. That bullpen of the Dodgers, which is ve- which is very, very spotty with Blake Triken, came, up, came in, pitched a third inning in, in relief, gave up three hits, three runs, and which was a home run. I mean, what a oh, it was awful, 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 awful. Freed came in six innings, pitched, gave up four hits, one run, struck out nine in his uh, starting performance in that game. Uh, Walker Bueller didn't pitch bad either. Braves took game one. Game two, you had game two, you had the Braves beat the Dodgers eight seven. The Dodgers bats woke up. Uh, and that, and this was really like the first, you know, and for the most part, the, up until game two, the, the this is the Braves starting pitching that had the second best ERA to start a postseason, you know, for the start a postseason run since the '83 Orioles held the since the '83 Orioles had an ERA I think under I think at around six zero point six zero and zero, you know, giving up a half a run or run average or thereabouts. Uh, the Braves beat the Dodgers 8-7. Uh, and then you had, and then with the Dodgers, so the Dodger offense woke up. 
uh, in game two. Uh, they had a four-run ninth inning, which made the game interesting. Max, Max Muncy, the home nine yards, hit a home run late in the game. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't able to overmatch the fact that the uh, that the Braves put up two in the fourth, four in the fifth, and put up a run in, run in the seventh, and then they had a run in the ninth. So uh, and the Braves are two uh, wins away from going to the World Series, something that they have not done in a long time. Uh, something that they have not done, I think, since '96, if I remember correctly. And if the Dodgers end up losing these two games, and they still have Kershaw in their in their back pocket. But if the Dodgers somehow, someway manage to lose these two games to the Atlanta Braves, who are a great baseball team, don't get me wrong, but for the Dodgers, who did all the screaming and yelling, and again, rightfully so, I stuck up for them with Joe Kelly and the Astros, who did playing screaming and yelling about the about the Astros, all that. If they don't get to a World Series, a team that that in a regular year would have won over 100 games, that went 43 and 17 this year, that that hella screaming about the Astros and and we got cheated out of a thing, yada yada yada, got absolutely ambushed and embarrassed by the Nationals in the Game Five at home last year, have lost many a postseason series in their seven to eight year division. Seven to eight year run of winning nonstop division titles. If they lose to the Braves, I don't want. I'm done with the Dodgers. I don't want to hear about the Dodgers. I don't want to hear Dodgers and and World Series champion in the same sentence no more. If the Dodgers, if the Dodgers lose this series, whether it's whether it's on Thursday, whether it's Thursday night, whether it's Thursday night, Friday night, or Saturday night, Sunday night, whatever. I don't care. They lose this series to the Braves. I don't hear none. I don't want to hear another word about the about the cheating. I don't want to hear another word about the cheating. I understand what they did was wrong, but but the Astros. But what what's your excuse when you lose the Atlanta Braves? You lose to the St. Louis Cardinals. You lose to the Chicago. I think they lost to the Cubs. You and you lose to the um. And you lost to the Nationals last year. What what was your excuse then? So I don't want to hear not another word. If they lose this series, I don't want to hear another word about. The Astros getting cheated out of a championship. I don't hear another word about this team. Is was as World Series a World Series uh, champion waiting to happen? I don't hear World Series contender. I don't hear anything about Dave Roberts being a great manager. I don't hear I don't hear anything about uh, Clayton Kershaw being a Hall of Fame pitcher because apparently uh, spitting a bit in the postseason means nothing. You know who cares if you uh, who cares if you embarrass yourself on a national stage in the postseason. If if you you know you do well against inferior National League talent, that's that's what counts in the 162 game, six month uh, marathon of a season, not the 20 20 plus game sprint that is postseason. I don't hear anything about Kershaw, nothing. If they lose this series, I'm done. I don't want to hear not another word about the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I and I, and and I am serious as a heart attack with that. They lose this series. And they don't find a way to claw back and to dig deep and to show some guts and to have some fight and to have some heart in them and come back against the Atlanta Braves to go to the World Series. I don't hear not a damn thing, no more about the L.A. Dodgers. I understand the Astros cheated. What's your ex- but the Astros ain't nothing have nothing to do with the fact that you're down 2-0 in this series. You lost to the Nationals last year. You've lost playoff series to the Cardinals. You've lost playoff series. Uh, you've and the many a playoff series you've lost in the past. I don't not one not one excuse. Okay, the Astros that okay fine, but that was one season. 
You've you've had many of other playoff failures outside of the Astros in 2017. Let's call it like we see it. Take a break. Get to LA's basketball champion. That is the Lakers. I'll tie a ball around that to end the program. Coming up right after this. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. As we put a bow on a 2019-2020, the longest NBA season in history, literally uh, nearly a full calendar year uh, length of a season. And boy, was it a crazy one with the China controversy when the season started and then David Stern died and then Kobe died and then Corona happened, which shut down the season for a few months and then going to this bubble it's just been it's a memorable it's a memorable NBA season and it will be one that will be written about and will be documentized uh for years and decades and generations to come down the road um so we put a bow on this 2020 NBA season after our screaming yelled game 5 go figure the Lakers come out in game 6 on Sunday night and uh, and take care of business. It was 106 to 93. Game wasn't even that close. They outscored the Heat, uh, 36 to 16 in the second quarter. 30, 20, uh, it was outscored the Heat, 36 to 16 in the second quarter, and uh, and honest and and outscored them 28 to 28 to 20 in the first quarter, and outscored them 23 22 in the third quarter. And uh, and that honestly was the difference. The game was over by halftime. And uh, the Heat thirty outscored the Lakers thirty-five to nineteen in the fourth quarter. That's garbage time. I mean, the game was well decided by then. But you know what? A phenomenal job, Miami by the Miami Heat. Uh, phenomenal season by them. If you would have told me uh, this time last year that the Miami Heat would be competing in the NBA championship, I would have caught you 37 different types of crazy and uh, and stupid. But uh, and but everyone knew that the Lakers, unless you were a Clipper fan, and everyone knew that the Lakers and were going to win the West with uh, with the with the Warriors having an off year with injuries and and Kevin Durant leaving them to go to uh, to go to Brooklyn. Um, everyone knew that the out again, unless you were a uh, LeBron hater or a Clipper fan, you knew that the Lakers were going to be representing the Western Conference in the NBA Finals. Uh, we didn't we didn't think that the NBA Finals would be in October 2020. We thought the NBA Finals were going to be in 
uh, June of 2020, but but nevertheless, the Lakers made the finals. They took care of business. The Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler, huge credit out to them and the Tyler Hero kid. Phenomenal talents, phenomenal basketball players. Uh, they they definitely they definitely have that it factor that can take over a game and can uh, and can will their team to a victory with their phenomenal play. They got nothing to be ashamed of. They have a great they had a great season. Pat Riley, the the uh, one of the great basketball minds this game has ever seen. Uh, it's a job well done putting together this NBA Finals. Uh, caliber roster. Eric Spolstra deserves a lot of credit for coaching them to this point. You know, until they ran into the buzzsaw that was the L.A. Lakers, they pretty much steamrolled their Eastern Conference competition, including the top seed. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks granted no Giannis for towards the end of that series, but still, what a phenomenal job. Lakers, phenomenal job. Uh, Vogel coaching LeBron and AD, I guarantee you, it was probably no day at the beach because they're both too powerful and, uh, and uh, big personalities. But LeBron and AD, phenomenal job, phenomenal performance. LeBron James getting his fourth NBA Finals MVP of his career. Um, just a sh- just a nice job to the LA Lakers on a uh, on a job well done. I know. Uh, was it th- was it a finals that I'll remember? Yeah, but for the wrong reasons, considering that they weren't playing in Staples and weren't playing at the American Airlines Arena, and you didn't get that experience of Pat Riley and the and being back in LA. And even though he's an executive, but still he has plenty of history with the Lakers being a being the coach there for uh, for the Showtime Lakers with uh, with with of course Kareem Worthy and and uh, and Magic when um, when Jeannie Buss when her father was the man in charge of the franchise at the Forum in Inglewood and then of course uh, and of course uh, and then Pat Riley of course played for the Lakers in the seventies as well and then of course LeBron going back to Miami play against his old team which he won two championships before back in 2012 2013 so uh so i remember it for that because the fact that it happened in a in a in a in a weird location in the middle of a buena vista florida instead of it being you know one of the all-time more competitive finals that i've ever seen but Congratulations to the Lakers and LeBron James, the king, back on top of his basketball throne, nevertheless. And we give both teams tremendous credit on sticking to it, uh, showing lots of grit, lots of fight, a great amount of mental toughness, being stuck inside that bubble from mid-July to essentially early October. Give them a lot of credit. I couldn't have done it. I understand they paid them and they had a championship to motivate them, but oh my goodness gracious, what I would have gone stir crazy being stuck in and enclosed inside that bubble. Uh, but, but they, but not just the players on those two teams, but all the NBA players deserve a tremendous amount of credit for sticking it out and staying in that NBA and uh, and staying in that NBA bubble. I guarantee it was not easy for them being sequestered from their families and being away from home and being away from their their bed and stuff like that. I mean LeBron James if you checked his story if you checked the story he said <laughs> he took a picture you couldn't see it cuz it was pitch black in his bedroom but he took a picture of his bed and said something like boy have I missed you and I know a lot of those NBA players miss uh sleeping in their uh, in their nice orthopedic 
beds in their own house. I mean, if you if you've been away from home for any amount of time, whether it's a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, years, you know, once you get back home and you look at that bed, it's like, oh God, my sanctuary is here and it is ready for uh, and it's ready for me to just flop myself on there and just uh, sleep the night away. But uh, congratulations to the Lakers and LeBron James, number seventeen. They tied the Celtics. I know Mike in Orange County and all the people out there in L.A. were all giddy as can be about it. So congratulations to the Los Angeles Lakers on their 2020 NBA championship. If you like the program, as that is it for this uh, midweek episode of the Amatelicatelius Podcast, new to the program, please subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter at the J Shield. Follow the show on and on Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it T I S. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatelit underscore podcast. It's your boy Josh Shields. I will talk to you all on Saturday. This has been another episode of the Intelligence CIA's Podcast. Get out and get registered to vote. Talk to you later. See ya.